it's this perception that we're not really a target. And the honesty is, if you have a pulse and you have a wallet, you're a target. So it's as simple as that. Hackers are holding companies' data for ransom. Are you next? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I am your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today, Joe Axney at IT Guru is our guest. A warning, we have fun getting a little in the weeds about the technology, so there's a little jargon, but don't let that spook you. His overall advice is you need to talk to the people who manage your IT and make sure you're asking the right questions of them, and you build a plan to make sure your technology stays up to date with today's threats. So first, Joe wants to sell you on why it's crucial to secure your computers at the practice, even if you've never been hacked. I mean, do you want to be the low-hanging fruit? Yeah, I guess, you know, the biggest obstacle right now is we're trying to educate practices on the right way of uh, securing their uh, computers and networks, right? So at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, there's a there's a lot ahead of us, and that is, you know, these doctors and potentially practice managers don't know what they don't know. And so when we talk security, it used to be this kind of set it and forget it approach. Sure. When it comes to your IT infrastructure, meaning you would, you know, buy some computers, you know, you'd have a firewall in your office, make sure you're blocked from the internet, you know, you're not raw on the internet and you throw some antivirus on your machine, you're good to go, right? <laughs> Those are the old days, right? That's the set it, forget it model. And, and we're, we're past that. So I really, what I like to do today is just really talk about, you know, kind of status IT security, the veterinary practices, what we're seeing, what clinics and hospitals should be considering for sh- short term and long term to assure that they're not victim to this nasty stuff that's going around right now called ransomware. I know a lot of, yes, a lot of veterinarians, veterinary practice owners, veterinary practice managers did exactly what you're talking about, where let's forget any cloud internet stuff, but they bought some computers. They had Windows or some other OS on them that had antivirus and, you know, firewall basic stuff. We think we're good. We're, as you said, we're not an open invitation out to the internet. So we should be good. What are the first things in the years gone by that have started to creep in where that antivirus, that firewall, that is not going to cut it for today's threats? Where are they coming from? What do they look like? Right. So when we're dealing with, you know, antivirus is signature based. So let's, let's get an understanding of what antivirus used to do, right? It used to okay. be these bad these bad actors would build programs and they'd have specific signatures tied to them, right? So then antivirus, anti-malware would, you know, add these signatures to their database, right? And prevent these, you know, executables from gaining a foothold onto that endpoint. Okay. Gone are the days of signatures, right? These bad actors, these hackers, right? They, they've gotten wise, right? They've gotten wise around this knowing that, you know, we can just, you know, create new signatures, on all different EXEs anytime we want now, that, that makes it easy. And, and so they're using, you know, tools and tricks to, to really modify those signatures. And the AV companies can't keep up with the massive amounts of change because signatures, you know, on one attack could change thousands of times. So these AVs and these anti-malware programs, they're not set for that. So the, the hackers have gotten smarter and gotten ways around and, and are starting to get, you know, footholds into the endpoint. Once you have a foothold the endpoint, then it's really easy to start shutting down that AV from any future type of, you know, monitoring. So they they could potentially then, 
you know, put a payload on that does have a signature that, that they would have caught. But guess what? It's been disabled now. You know, we, we were able to get around it. If that makes sense, right? So I think everybody's vision was you could get someone, as you say, an, ex- an executable. So somebody's going to get a file on one of your computers, mm-hmm. one of your points out there, and that's going to run and cause you a problem. Now, when you're talking about the signatures on those, are you talking about file names or something deeper than that? It's deeper than that. Yeah, it's not just file names. It's, it's There's an associated signature that goes along with it. And that's, you know, traditionally the way that AV has been catching, you know, catching, you know, based, uh, you know, malicious type of EXEs, right? It has this particular signature, we'll block it, we're good to go. But that's no longer the case. These, like I said, these signatures are just randomized now. And so, you know, each and every attack could have different signatures. That's how the stuff, the payload is getting down because these AVs, those AV environment, you know, the AV uh, is still important, right, for the old legacy type of attacks, but these newer, you know, more modern attacks are, are really, you know, the first thing is let's get a foothold of that endpoint. And then, you know, let's start shutting down some of that security, right? So that they can't stop us from future future things, future payloads that we want to put in play. I mean, the first step is really, I mean, it's almost sort of, it's not even a Trojan horse because you see the Trojan horse coming in and you see some, this is just stuff slipping in and then it could sit there for how long? If you've encountered any kind of these things when you went in and found anything on anybody's computers, can you ever figure out, has it been a day, a week? Has he been sitting around for months and they haven't, the hacker or whoever dropped it there had just hasn't done anything with it yet? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're good at prevents. We don't, we don't see a lot of that because there's, you know, there's prevent within layers and we can get into that, right? What, what those layers should look like. But, you know, from my peers, right in the IT industry, you know, the majority of them are saying the way it's getting in is through phishing attempts, right? So that's actually, these are links that you receive within, say, an email, your email, right? That it looks like a legitimate site, like your credit card company or your, your uh, maybe your mileage program for your, you know, your, your, your United card or, or, could, you know, just, you know, these are fake sites that are being built, right? right. And tricking the end user of clicking you know, is clickbait. We call it clickbait, right? So, they, they get you then to go to a website, which then has that payload that then, you know, allows, you know, allows that payload that to really, you know, infiltrate that endpoint at that point. How much of the prevention you need to do is on, you know, desktop PCs and how much is now people are getting their email on their, their Androids, their iPhones on the tablets that might be in the clinic is the biggest issue still the desktop PC sitting at somebody's desk or all the devices in that place kind of all at risk of somebody being susceptible to that phishing? So all the devices are susceptible, first of all, but the majority of the devices are going to be Windows-based, you know, laptops, desktops, et cetera, right? That has the major market share, right? The, the highest amount of potential for being hacked. Apple is not out of the woods either, right? So Windows is one flavor, but Apple is uh, starting to see, you know, gain more and more market share and, and start to see issues. Think about a, um, a phone, right? A phone, it could be susceptible to many different, you know, networks, right? You could be latched onto a, you know, public Wi-Fi hotspot at, say, your local brewery, you know, and using it because you're using free Wi-Fi. You could then pop over to the library and use free Wi-Fi there. You could be popping at your work and latching onto either public or private Wi-Fi. You know, so that device, you know, if compromised, it, it becomes a potential threat to your business. So one of the things that we really recommended from a, you know, personal device from a veterinary clinic hospital, we do a lot of assessments and we do these, you know, Wi-Fi network scans, right? So we'll find all kinds of iPhones sitting on the private network because staff is just latching into that private of network, course. right? 
and versus, you know, that clinic or hospital really should have a public network exposed. So, and that public network should then be isolated, right? So that each device that connects into that public network is isolated in its own, you know, think about a swimming pool and it's a large swimming pool and, but we're only carving up a small little lap lane of use, right? And, but nobody can get out of that lap lane. They have to be in that, that one lane and stay in that lane, but they're not able to see any other swimmers in the pool. Does that make sense? It sort of especially means if they get on the Wi-Fi and they're they're doing it to access the internet, they're not doing it to access the clinic computers. Correct. So they're keeping it away from the other devices and the other things going on. Right. So y'all should just latch on to public and make sure that public is isolated. And then it has internet access for things they need to do, like you know, be able to communicate with family members, you know, friends. You know, if they're taking their break, they want well, maybe want to maybe it what doesn't allow them to really catch up on their Netflix because we we don't want them, you know. You know, smashing the network with, with <laughs> right. of, you know, streaming movies, but, or, or, you know, their favorite TV series, whatnot, right? But it's going to keep that clinic a little safer, right, at the end of the day. So only approved devices should be really allowed on the private network, right? Things that have to have access. And if those, those devices are approved, then they, they need to really have, in our eyes, a, a multiple different layers of protection to really, to keep these threats out. So before actually getting into, you kind of alluded to, you know, eventually have these steps or these things we recommend that everybody does prevention wise. Right. You mentioned these payloads. What are the bigger, we've heard things about ransomware and, you know, I've heard things, I think we've both heard stories about either single hospitals or multiple hospitals that had problems with ransomware and some of who may have, may have paid the ransom. What is ransomware and what are the threats of these payloads today that, are the same or different than what people, the kind of viruses people were led to believe they could get 30 years ago. You know, something that'll just come on and wipe the hard drive. These are doing different things now. What are they doing? Right. So ransomware, it's just, it's just a type of malicious software, right? That threatens to either publish your data, you know, access to maybe competitors of the public, right? Until really a, a ransom, maybe it'll just hold you hostage to your own information until a ransom's paid. So, while some simple ransomware just lock the system, right? The single okay. system, it's getting more and more complex, right? It's, it's growing. So it all started with, you know, really encrypting your own data, right? Locking you out of your, your ability to view your own information on your own PC. Then it started evolving into, well, if I can do it here on the PC, why not, you know, reach over to any shares that, that I'm connected to and start wiping out, you know, company data. If I can, you know, reach over to shares, why don't I, start looking at ways I can, you know, take this payload and, and actually spread it to every single machine in, in, in the environment and lock out every machine and servers. So it's, it's perpetually gotten worse over time. So ransomware is just this extortion, right? And then the way you have to pay back that ransom is through Bitcoin, right? So you, it's kind of this anonymous, you know, payment network that uh, these bad guys are able to, you know, be a part of and, and collect information and and then it's hope, right? I hope they give me the keys to unlock my data. I mean, right. you're dealing with crooks here, right? So what we found is that one out of four attacks, you don't actually get the keys to unlock it. They get your money, but you don't actually get the key to unlock it. So it's it's more of a, a deeper scam than just, you know, holding your ransom or hostage to your own info. You know, you did mention the thing, and I think when we talked about this a, a few weeks ago, one of the risks of that data getting into somebody else's hands is they, again, they blackmail you. We're going to give this to your competitors. Well, there's a very good chance that the local veterinarians aren't going to buy client records stolen from another local. So that doesn't feel like a big risk. But 
how could you imagine if you haven't seen it or heard about it, how could you imagine the ransom? So if, if somebody was ransoming it, they had all that data, they had access to the data, they copied it and said, now we've got it, even though you've got the computers back up running. So let's say you've got everything back up running and you've only lost an hour's worth of data, but somebody copied that stuff and walked off with it. What are some of the risks people should think about of what somebody could do with that stuff? Well, they can impersonate you as, as a clinic, right? So they probably have all your records of, of your clients that, you know, come and gone, right? All your active and, and even lapsing patients, right? So, so they could have all that information at their fingertips to be able to reach back out to them and, and maybe start trying to hit payloads, you know, uh, you know, as you, right? Maybe it's a little trickery in there. And, and, and so, you know, but they, they can just try to impersonate you and really go after, you know, potential endpoints and, but really scar your reputation as, a, as if it came from you, if that makes sense, right? It does. Are there any stories that you, again, we pick up stuff that's confidential or it's third or fourth hand. I mean, have you heard, are there any particular stories you have to share about things you've heard about practices that have been afflicted with these problems? Yeah, I have. There's a, a widespread one a while back, a couple of years mm -hmm. ago, that really knocked out a lot, you know, hundreds of practices all at once. Some of the stories were they were down for months. Wow. Right? They weren't able to get back up and running. One of the stories was they had just brought in all brand new equipment, right? And, you know, set everything up. So they were in brand new state-of-the-art equipment, new server, everything. They get hit with uh, ransomware, takes everything out. They had to actually go back and, and re-implement or repurchase back like old equipment that they had from an old IT provider that they had to go back and purchase to get back in to get them up and running. But it was months and months of just, you know, headache and struggles, right? Just, you know, re trying to recreate data, trying to recreate things from scratch, really trying to run your practice manually, right? Without the technology to assist you through the automation and the efficiencies that, that practice really had around the utilization of that technology, really brought them to a, you know, to a standstill, also gave them a black eye in the client's eyes, right? So, right. you know, think about the, the pain that that client has to go through because they don't have the records and, and no access to the records of, of that patient and, and the history. And so they're having to re-explain uh, everything to the practice on where they stood with that patient. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions, a poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. Do you get general pushback if you go talk to someone who, there's the people who have already called you and they say, I want you to come in and do an assessment and I want you to make sure all our stuff is up to snuff. 
But if it's not quite there, what is generally the hurdle that's keeping a veterinary practice owner, a veterinary practice manager, or somebody in administration at a chain to take this additional step to try to look at their security and step up security? I mean, is it money? Is it time? Is it, I don't think this is an issue for us. What seems to be a barrier? Yes, perception. I think it's, I think it's starting to become more and more mainstream. It's really, you know, you look at the last, you know, few months, right? In this last summer, we had two major attacks. We had the Colonial Pipeline in the spring, and then you had a major attack on an IT, you know, uh, a company, you know, provides uh, support for IT companies, a major ransomware attack there. So it's this perception that we're not really a target. And the honesty is, if you have a pulse and you have a wallet, you're a target. So it's as simple as that. You have something of value, right, within your computer networks that you need, right, to run your business. Your business is valuable, right? So it's not necessarily, you know, what information you have, but, you know, preventing you from getting access to any of it, right? So there's this perception of, you know, IT pros. There's a survey that goes out, you know, to IT professionals once a year. It's kind of like the state of ransomware and and where we sit. So it was interesting. It's like 84% of IT pros really feel we have a major issue going on here. But then if you look at, you know, small business owners, right, like veterinary practice owners and, and such, only 30% of those folks actually feel like, you know, that it's a major issue. So there's a big disconnect there, right? So there's a big disconnect from IT pros to small business owners. So it's challenging, but, you know, our goal is really just continue educating them. I think we're seeing more and more of these, and these are not going to slow down. You're going to continue to see, you know, uh, big breaches. Uh, I think just the other day, we're starting to see food co-ops get hit right now. So that's huge because, you know, that's going to hit the supply chain even worse with uh, grocery stores, right? So, you know, so they're going after, you know, all different types of, of industries, all different types of attack methods, right? And, uh, you know, but yeah, we just have to educate these small business owners, these veterinary practice, you know, and, and hospital, you know, administrators and owners that it's a threat. It's a threat you really have to kind of, you know, take seriously. And it's one that could be, you know, there is no 100% secure anything. But there's ways to reduce your risk so so you don't fall victim and you don't you know go through the huge work stoppage, long periods of downtime, you know, could be weeks, right, of downtime for your practice. So it reminds me a little bit. So thinking about securing your house, I mean, I know some people's impression, and I feel like I feel sometimes this way about my car or about again the information that I have out on the internet that's in so many different places. You just figure. Well, if somebody wants to get this, they can. So if the criminal's smart enough, I mean, I could do whatever I want at my veterinary practice, but they're going to get in. Is the issue really, but then I think about the population of the people out there doing this. There's probably a wide bell curve. Yes, there's the smartest, brightest, most sophisticated, cunning hackers. And sure, they might be able to get through all your stuff, but that's a small percentage of all these other people that are just trying to make a little bit of they're trying to make a little scratch on plug and play hacking and they're not the brilliant yeah. hackers. Are you really trying to protect yourself from the bulk of people out there who are sort of lazily hacking? Yeah, there's a terminology called you know, script kiddies, right? Script These are folks kiddies. that really don't, yeah, <laughs> they don't really know what they're doing. They're, but it's as easy. If you want ransomware payload, it's like shopping on Amazon now. You can go out there and you can buy. And, then, and, they, and it's, it's amazing. You can go out and you can buy these tools. You can buy support. They'll support you. They'll assist you with, uh, you know, setting up, you know, how do you set up your Bitcoin account so you stay anonymous and, and people can transfer in. They assist you with, you know, hosting, you know, websites that are in areas that fall outside of U.S., you know, U.S. territory, right? It's insane, you know, how easy it is to buy these kits now to really launch and get rolling, right? 
you could buy kits because once you start having and collecting and getting on endpoints, then you get some insight of what you know kind of security software they have. Yeah. And say maybe it's a security software like McAfee, right? McAfee is a like an antivirus program that that can run on a computer. You can buy a kit now that can get right around that solution, right? So you don't have to you know figure it all yourself. You just you know pay a little bit of money, and then you know now you're in business. Now you're collecting you know Bitcoin to unlock data to to hand back to folks. So the hacking community has now built in, again, script kitty, plug and plug. You're saying there's kind of a whole almost troubleshooting and customer service infrastructure with some of these people selling this stuff. Right. They got frequently asked questions, you know, and, and how do I do this? How do I do that? Right. So uh, a lot of this is on the dark web, you know, and, and getting access to this, but it's readily available. It's out there. So if somebody is sold that they want to think about this, walk me through the process of what it looks like from the point at which... You come in because I, I mean, obviously they could try to DIY this if they know I don't, I would never try to do it, but maybe they figure, no, I'm going to read up on internet security. Somebody here, we have somebody who's really into coding and programming and computers will be able to do it. They're not going to do that. They need somebody to come in. What does it look like from the very first step of what do you assess fully kind of when you come in? And then what you talked about, those prevention things, what are the things that you would like to have happen at the average veterinary practice that maybe aren't happening now that people might need something? Yeah, yeah. I will I'll go into that. There's one thing I want to follow up at the very beginning of that conversation yeah. we had just a second ago was yeah, there is no 100% secure, right? So again, so the analogy I use there is it's, you know, you want to make it hard for them, right? You want them to move on, right? You You want them to... You know, so if it's going to be a pain, there's other, there's tons of other uh, opportunities out there. I can just pass up on this one. Think about it. You don't want to be low hanging fruit, right? Like an apple tree. You want to, you know, get yourself to the top of that tree. Yeah. Can you get the apples off the top of the tree if you use tools like a ladder to get up there? Yes. But, you know, the low hanging fruit is typically what's the, yeah. right? So, and so we want to really, that's what we really emphasize. Don't be that low hanging fruit, right? So, so if you don't want to be that low-hanging fruit, what are the prevention methods you have to have in today? And that's that's the prevent model, right? So this is the model that that we really highly encourage that that you have multiple layers of, of protection. And so, you know, we talked about antivirus. There's this new concept of like next-gen AV, right? So it's including uh, things like endpoint detection and response. So not only is it looking for the signature-based things. But you may have to have even maybe a, a, an AV plus, you know, and it's called like EDR, right? EDR is endpoint detection and response. Okay. So it's a secondary layer, right? You know, to really understand if something does get a foothold, right? Like an example, say something gets a foothold and then starts making some registry tweaks or, you know, these hackers typically will throw things into like your startup directory. So you try to clean it up and clean it and then, you reboot your computer and then it reinfects itself again. So, and most of these next gen AVs or these EDR solutions are built by hackers themselves knowing what to really look for. So, so AV is one thing. It has to be centralized still, right? It can't be multiple different versions of, you know, I've got, I've got uh, McAfee over here and Webroot over here and Norton over here. It needs to be one flavor for the whole practice. That's centrally managed, right? And that should be centrally managed through some type of web portal in our in our opinion, right? So that you can kind of see the state of, you know, your computers and be alerted, right? If, if any of your uh, AV starts going offline, that's that, that could be a kind of a red flag, right? Something going in and disabling it. So making sure you have that AV. Email filtering, 
The big problem here is that practices typically don't have email addresses associated to the domain name they own, right? So like yeah. myhospital.com, right? So, you know, it should be Dr. A at myhospital.com, Dr. B at uh, myhospital.com, you know, help or hello at whatever. We see in most cases the personal emails like myhospital at gmail.com or aol.com or msn or hotmail. And those are consumer type of services that typically won't filter very well for you, right? So you need professional you should should be using a professional your your domain name, uh, you know, in our opinion. But you should be putting filtering around that, so you're filtering out the the bad things, right? You know, one in four emails that get through probably is going to be some type of a phishing attempt into your mailbox. So let's let's get that locked down with some uh, some type of filtering solution. Can I ask about that? That's interesting. You would figure, given the ubiquity of the services, I mean, maybe mm -hmm. if you still have an AOL.com, you don't think that's up to date, but you figure Gmail, Google, Alphabet, one of the biggest companies out there in the world for tech or the biggest, somewhere around there, you'd think whatever filtering they're using for their consumer-based stuff is good enough. What does these extra layers of a more when it's your proprietary, it's your proprietary website domain, mm -hmm. and your websites are being filtered. What does the more sophisticated filtering do beyond catching more stuff that might be phishing or spamming? What more sophisticated? Can you give an example of more sophisticated? Yeah, thing? it's like using art artificial intelligence, so real time threats that are happening right now. Because again, these hackers are figuring out ways around those solutions, right? So yeah, they'll come up with some ploy and, and some plot, and okay, so you got you know yeah. Maybe that consumer-based email is going to block that, you know, but then there's a new plot out there. How quickly can they implement that new plot, right? Yeah. So with these new solutions, they're using AI to really see the new threats that are coming out and immediately get those deployed out so that, you know, to the rest of the folks, right? So, you know, hundreds and thousands of businesses that are all being protected by the solution immediately get that next-gen protection, if that makes sense, right? This new uh, we call it kind of like a zero day threat, right? This new, brand new zero day threat that just emerged. Some weird situation here. Oh, okay, we're going to go ahead and add that in through artificial intelligence. Spread that over thousands, thousands of companies. Now you're protected. So you're you're kind of in a co op, right? So you, you join a kind of a co op, more of a situation where where you're really you know, diving in, and and these things are you know typically you know attacks are happening real time that that, that just have to get known, understood, and deployed from a uh, rejection aspect. Maybe it's a, a specific attachment that gets, you know, into like uh, an inbox and, and it's, it's identified and it's like, oh, that's a bad attachment. So these artificial intelligence solutions will go back out, reach back into inboxes and purge those attachments from being even executed, if that makes sense, right? It's yeah. that next gen. And yeah, so what you're saying is it's, you're relying on the filter to kind of catch it as it comes through. These next gens are, are kind of staying in touch with that inbox and, and reaching back in and, and pulling things out if it's uh, deemed, you know, unsafe or compromised or something that can compromise your, your endpoints. So I see what you're saying. The machine learning also is faster than people. It doesn't require a person to sit yep. down and look at the whole threat and then deploy something. If the software is smart enough, I mean, it's it's deploying and then sort of retroactively yep. deploying, as you've said. If we found it in one of our email inboxes, boom, and we can people catch too, it. because people are like, "Whoa, this is bad, right? How'd this get through? This is, you know, this has got to be stopped." Then it's going to right. react on that, and then again, so now it's going to react, and then that prevention, that proactiveness of it is okay, 
this person, yep, and they, you know, artificial intelligence confirms it. Now it reaches back in. Yeah, so it's it's much, uh, you know, we, we kind of call this next gen email filtering. It's just, yeah, of course, these providers are going to have some type of filtering because there's so much junk that comes through. But, you know, it's it's just hard for them to stay on top of that. Most of the filtering is built to get rid of the annoying thing. So they're trying to get rid of the spam. And when it comes to people sort of maliciously sending stuff through, I can see how that's more cunning, more complicated, right. more difficult to sort. Okay, so we got the email filter. They should think about abandoning, not using these, maybe these consumer-grade right. email accounts. And they should think about making sure, again, to find out they've got, you know, that that AV plus something that's doing beyond just checking for those signatures on executables. And probably again, before you started talking about signatures on executables, I had no idea about that. So again, I would think if somebody's listening to this and they think, I don't want to learn about signatures and executables, you probably don't need to. Again, they can right. go to an expert like you. So we've got emails, the AV, what else happens, you know, whether either they're server-based or cloud-based, what else needs to happen? Well, let's see, I take it from the outside in maybe approach, you know, so you, you have this gateway device, right, that allows all the traffic in and out of your network, right? And it's called a firewall. And so when we typically do assessments, we'll see all kinds of different firewalls. And what we don't want to see is, you know, consumer-based kind of firewalls, things you can go down like Best Buy or Staples and purchase, right? Is it going to keep you from attaching directly raw to the internet? Yes, it does prevent that. But business class firewalls should come with some type of security subscription, right? And so it has to have, it should be on a support, but it has to come with some type of security subscription. So it's going to add things like, you know, antivirus, anti-malware, looking at attachments, maybe that's coming through even you know, in and out of, out of the network, you know, file transfers. And so it's, it's what, that gateway device, right? Uh, again, business class, you know, maintenance, it should be on a subject of maintenance and it has to have some type of security uh, subscription involved with it to really do deep packet inspections, look at it, all the stuff coming in and out of your network to assure that, you know, like malformed packets, things like that aren't just slipping through and making their way back into uh, like an internal endpoint, right? The other piece with that is firewalls that, you know, we got to, we really need to start coaching folks that, you know, we shouldn't be punching holes through firewalls anymore, right? These, you know, we see a lot of, you know, holes open right. to like, you know, hey, I, but I want to be able to see my cameras when I'm at home for my smartphone. But in order to do that, you had to, you know, expose, you know, X, Y, and Z ports. And, oh, by the way, you know, when I, you know, like I did this assessment, by the way, I could see the internal cameras and, and the password is admin admin. Uh, I was able to get right in and I could see everybody working in your practice, right? And right, you know, directly from the raw internet. Those are things that, you know, we, we really want to kind of understand too. So that business class firewall should be, should be really poking holes through your firewall anymore. There's other secure ways to get to your internal camera system than, than punching holes, right? That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.